Welcome to The Flight Deck, a Leading Edge podcast. I'm your host, Dave Allen. With me today is New Hire Mentor Committee Chair, Gabe Koshan, and New Hire Mentor Administrative Member, Laurel Armstrong. Hi, Gabe. Hi, Dave. Hi, Laurel. Hi, Dave. So, Gabe, how long have you been on the New Hire Mentor Committee? I joined the uh, Mentor Committee in uh, 2016, just off of probation. Became a vice chairman uh, later that year, and then uh, I've been the chairman for the committee for about uh, three years now. Okay, and Laurel, uh, how long have you been on the committee? Dave, I've been a mentor since 2017. In 2019, I became a coordinator, which is a mentor to the mentors, and I became into this role as an administrative member about a year and a half ago. How many committee members are there on this committee? Currently, this committee has uh, 282 and it's split uh, with mostly mentors, obviously, and then there's uh, coordinators. We have uh, 22 of those. Okay. And what does the role of a coordinator do? Coordinators, kind of, they, they do uh, basically quality control for us uh, with close to 2,400 new hires a year. Uh, those coordinators kind of make sure that the, the mentors are actually kind of getting the mentoring done and to answer questions mentors might have. Does that make your, your committee the largest committee uh, at United Alpa? Uh, it is the largest committee at uh, United Alpha. It might be the largest committee nationwide. Okay. And you said we have over 2,000 new hires a year. Do you know how many we've had the last couple of years? Uh, yeah. So, you know, pre-COVID, we had about 500 to 700 new hires a year. United always says, you know, they were going to hire as many as they can those years. Uh, they always proclaimed they were going to hire 1,000 per year, and they always ended up somewhere about 700. Obviously, 2020, uh, we didn't hire uh, hardly anybody, 177 people tech, technically in 2020. Uh, in, uh, and then we hired no one. Started again in May of 2021. That year, 2021, we had uh, 15, 1,200 pilots uh, in that year, which just for a short period of time, a short year of hiring, we hired more than we had any time period uh, beforehand. Uh, in 2022, we had uh, 2,443 uh, new hires which obviously sur- surpassed 2021. This year, we'll probably uh, equal, if not more, uh, new hires. Laurel, how long does a new hire get a mentor for? A new hire gets a mentor for about their first six months on the property. Uh, that's a change. We used to pair them up through their entire probationary year. And kind of depending on the mentor-mentee relationship, that's still possible. But because we are hiring so much, we just don't have enough mentors really to go around. So we're um, asking mentors to focus on new hires for their first six months, which is where mentors uh, find that mentees have the most questions during that time. And that way, hopefully help uh, more people with our limited resources. And so to add to that, Laurel, does every new hire, I realize every new hire gets assigned a mentor. Um, Does every new hire use their mentor? No, it would be tough. We don't track the actual numbers, but just from personal experience, I think about 80% of uh, pilots use their mentor and about 20% are not interested at all and um, are sort of non-responsive to mentor contacts and don't use the program. And even within that 80%, there's people who are really heavy users of their mentor and um, new hire pilots that are uh, really perfunctory check-ins. So, Laurel, when a new hire mentor gets a question from a new hire that is outside his area of expertise, how does he handle that question? That's a great question. Luckily, the new hire mentor does not have to be the expert 
in everything. Uh, we ask the mentors just to be sort of experts in what resources are available. So a lot of times a mentor is guiding the new hire pilot towards different committees. Okay. Now, Gabe, you are my new hire mentor. I don't know if you remember that. And I ask you questions well beyond a year. I know that for a fact. Um, Laurel talked about that relationship between the new hire mentor and the the new hire. Can you delve a little deeper into what is a beneficial relationship? So the, the benefit of that mentor, mentee, union, or combination is that you, know, you build a friendship with that with that new hire. You know, every one of the, most of my mentees that I've mentored over the years, we still stay in contact. Uh, like yourself, I have another uh, mentor that was one of my new hires. He still asks questions to this day, which is great. Uh, you you kind of make that bond with that new hire, and they'll ask questions years beyond uh, just that that mentor mentee combination. So, for those who are listening to this, Laurel, um, you say twenty percent probably don't use their mentor. What would you say to that twenty percent? of people that, that maybe are listening to this today and saying, hey, I don't need a mentor? Uh, if you don't need a mentor because you know a lot of people at United and you're getting your questions answered from uh, an experienced friend, you might not need a mentor. You might be already getting a, a very similar relationship. But if you're thinking that you don't need one because you're just not that interested, I would urge you to reconsider just because it's so beneficial to have somebody that's trained to answer your questions in a way that's not going to get you in trouble, that are constantly getting updates about where new hires are going astray and um, giving you up-to-date information about that. I don't think you're going to get that just from like your best friend that got hired at United two months before you. I think you get that from somebody that's been trained by the ALPA New Hire Mentor Committee. Laurel, you mentioned that we don't have enough people as new hire mentors. Uh, if somebody wanted to be involved in that, how would they go about becoming involved uh, in being a mentor? Yeah, please email us, ualmentoradmin at alpa.org. We're basically continuously uh, fielding uh, interested applicants and then running them through a half-day training course. We're continuously trying to get more mentors in the ranks just so that we can continue to have a great product for new hires. If I was going to volunteer tomorrow to be a new hire mentor, what would that um, look like from a time perspective on a monthly basis? How much time would I expect to spend uh, doing uh, this volunteer position? I think you should budget for about four hours a month at least. Uh, we're going to assign you two new hires a month probably, and those two new hires are each going to take about uh, maybe an hour each in that first month, but then you'll have other questions from your existing new hires. So about four hours a month is about a good uh, breakdown, so like at least an hour a week, I would say. Okay, and then Gabe, as a new hire... Um, how much time should I expect uh, to be spending with a new hire mentor? In other words, I'm going through training. I'm worried about studying. I'm worried about um, passing my check rides. I'm worried about OE and you know my first month or two on reserve. How much time should I expect that uh, my new hire mentor is going to take with me during that period of time? There's it depends on it depends on the the new hire's needs. Uh, it depends, and the mentors take. Uh, they're cognizant of the time it takes to go through training, right? So we try not to bug them too much while they're in training, but 
Uh, it depends on the new hire's background. If you come from an express carrier, where you kind of understand the the mechanics of United a bit, or, or granted it's a larger company and, and the contract's a lot more complicated, um, you would spend less time with that with that mentor. You made a different set of questions. Um, somebody that comes from the military, which doesn't have any 121 experience, might have a lot more questions. So to answer your question with time-wise, uh, I think a, you know, say United Express new hire would probably spend uh, each time they speak to a mentor, maybe 35, 40 minutes, depending on questions. Uh, that might be a little bit longer if you're, if you're from military background, because there's a lot more questions to ask. There's a lot more material for the mentor to cover as well. So I would expect maybe an hour, 45 minutes maybe, uh, with a with a with a mentor if you're former military, which is great. The mentors all will all spend time as much time as you guys need. You know, as a new hire, and we're not limited on time for you guys. It's it's whatever the whatever the new hire needs. Okay, and then how would I expect as a new hire? How would I expect to hear from my mentor? There's multiple. There's a, a couple different avenues. So when you go through initial training on day two, you'll get to your ALPA briefing. It's about an hour long. They'll cover what uh, history of ALPA where your dues are spent, uh, what some of the different committees that are available. In fact, all of the committees are available to new hires. Um, subsequent to that, we'll assign each new hire a mentor. Uh, uh, my vice chairman does those assignments. Once those are done, I email the entire class, uh, each new hire class. It's a welcome letter kind of outlining what the mentor committee is, uh, what to expect from contacts from their mentor. I also include in that email uh, a list of the mentor to mentee pairing. That way the, the new hire has their mentor's name. Uh, so if they had a question before the mentor even got a hold of them, they could actually reach out to them. Uh, that same letter has a, a contact for PDR. They have our direct email as well. If they had some other questions. The, you should expect to hear from your mentor pretty much right after about basic in-doc. Somewhere in the middle of in-doc, they will typically text or email you and just introduce themselves and say, what, what's a good free time for you? Uh, this typically after you graduate, you'll have a couple of days of just kind of downtime. Uh, I say typically have a couple of days of downtime, not always, but uh, the mentor will reach out to you there and they'll typically reach out to you after say SIM training and after Iowa. And those are kind of milestones in your career or training career at United. Okay. And if I, Laurel, if I don't hear from my mentor, what do I do? Yeah, if you don't hear from your mentor at all, please reach out to us. You can uh, PDR the ALPA New Hire Mentor Committee and just explain that you've never heard from them. Uh, you should. You can also, of course, reach out on your own using the contact information in the email that Gabe sends. But if you're unsatisfied with the response from your mentor or just don't feel like you're getting um, a good mentor experience, please let us know. One of the things that we want to do in this podcast is answer common questions that a new hire may have, um, common questions that you guys see through common interaction with your mentors. We've asked a couple of new hires to submit questions um, that were common questions through PDRs, and they've submitted them um, via recording. So let's take the first question now from Matt. Hey, my name is Matt. I'm a new hire on the 777 in San Francisco, and my question is regarding transfer days. So I chose to drive my car out to the training center, and I also chose to have my three days off uh, after the LOE. I remember the union saying something about the possibility of being paid for three days uh, to drive out. And my question is, are those the same days? Uh, is that considered the paid move? And how does that work? So I'm also 
a new hire mentor, and I've had this question or a similar question a lot about transfer days. Laurel, can you answer this question for Matt? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Matt asked about his uh, his three days off after LOE. And those would be the training days off. Those are the three days that you get off either after your LOE or after um, IOE. Of course, if Matt can do whatever he wants on his uh, days off. I had to go look this up, but um, he would actually have to drive on his transfer days in order to be awarded mileage on those days. Um, uh, you get mileage, you get hotels, you get some meals. It's all outlined in the contract. To request transfer days, you go to the uh, Help Hub. You can search paid move or transfer days, and there's a form that pops up for that. If he's actually driving between uh, Denver and San Francisco, there is uh, a formula for how many uh, days you get. In this case, I looked up, he'd get four days, four transfer days in order to drive his car out. So uh, if he is thinking, uh, I really want to use... Uh, this time to drive my car, he will be giving up the mileage reimbursement and uh, giving up the extra transfer day, but he could still get his transfer days later. And in fact, he should go ahead and request those because there is a 90-day limit from the first day of IOE from when you have to take your transfer days. And transfer days, unlike the training days off, Transfer days are paid days off, so they're much more valuable than training days off or just normal days off that just happen to be three of them right then built into your schedule after uh, IOE or after your LOE. Transfer days are a separate set of paid days off. Uh, he also mentioned the paid move. The paid move, although you do get one uh, career move at United, uh, probationary pilots aren't eligible for that, so this is not paid move. This is separate from the career move. This is just um, a benefit for driving your commuter car. So Laura, along those lines, if I choose not to drive my car out and just take the three transfer days, will the company ship a car for me to that new base? Yeah. So if, in this case, um, if Matt wanted to, he could uh, ask the company to ship his car from Denver to San Francisco for him or from his home to San Francisco for him. That's outlined in a 10G3. Okay. 10G3 and Laurel is referencing the United Pilot Agreement, which we will call the UPA. One of the questions we often get is, is what happens if a family issue comes up while I'm in the middle of training? This question does come up fairly often because family issues do come come up. Um, I will preface this by saying the other issue that comes up really is having a known issue in a 12-week period after your date of hire. That's how you new hire sign a contract that they're free from all uh, known issues, i.e. surgeries, weddings, whatever it might be, for that 12-week period. To answer your question more directly, if there's an issue of any kind of issue, right, family issue or training issue, you can contact your mentor directly, which we recommend. You can also PDR the training committee if you need something done kind of right away, you can always talk to your instructor or um, or the head of training, fleet training, uh, if you have an issue that needs to be handled right away. But we do recommend going to your mentor first because it depends on, we may need to bring in a different uh, committee from Alpha depending on what your needs are. Okay, so then uh, beyond that, what if what if I'm struggling in training and having difficulty in training? Uh, the process, the, the best process to follow with that is to Contact your mentor first because they can uh, take your, depending on your situation, 
uh, it gives them advice, right? If you need extra training, that's that's typically fine. Uh, the the footprint training is built for that. Uh, you can also PDR the uh, training committee. Uh, if you don't know how to submit a PDR, your mentor can walk you through that system. So many of the questions the New Hire Mentor Committee gets is are with regards to reserve life, um, whether it be commuting or not commuting. So let's talk through some of those questions. Laurel, one of the biggest questions is, I'm assigned a short call, and I have a two-and-a-half-hour call-out window. What is my re- responsibility or my requirements during that two-and-a-half-hour win- call-out window? Yeah, I think I know where you're getting with this because there is some guidance out there from maybe people who aren't on probation that, listen, if you're commuting on reserve, you need to be in the area during that call out time. It spells it out really clearly in the commuter clause. So you need to be within two and a half hours of the primary airport, um, your primary base. Otherwise, another common question is about uh, the time that it would take to get to some of the other airports, the satellite airports. And in that case, the the call-out time does say that consideration is given for the time. Obviously, if you're right next to Newark and you have to get to LaGuardia, that takes some time and you have a reasonable amount of time to get there. Okay. So you're saying that I cannot commute by airplane and just call scheduling and tell them that I'm going to be on an airplane during that two and a half hours? You can if you want to get a call from the chief pilot. So when you're talking about the commuter clause, Laurel, we have another question from one of our pilots uh, regarding the prudent part of the commuter policy. Hey, thanks for helping us new guys out. My name is Ben. I'm a Newark-based Airbus first officer. If I'm commuting up the day prior for an early show, what should I do when Newark inevitably melts down and things start canceling or delaying to the point that I can no longer get to Newark with a reasonable amount of rest? Let's say I plan to leave at 11 a.m., but everything slides to the right or cancels, so my only options are late flights around 10 or 11 p.m. when my next morning show is 4 or 5 a.m. Can you use the two-flight rule if there aren't two flights left that give adequate rest? All right, Ben, so that's a great question. Uh, Technically, the commuter clause just says you have to have two flights that get you in before your report time, and that goes by the scheduled time of the flight. So in the case of your question, if your first scheduled flight was supposed to arrive midday and then it got delayed and delayed and delayed or canceled, at some point in time you call scheduling to inform them that your first flight is no longer an option and you tell them what your second option is. And uh, then you sort of see what happens with your second option. The part about this that I'll bring up is you say when Newark inevitably melts down. And while that is true, part of being a prudent commuter is being aware of factors like weather. And I think that's something that is something to keep in mind. It's not just having two flights that arrive in time. It's having two flights Uh, leaving early enough, taking into account weather, taking into account uh, how fast you can get between the gates of these two flights, and other things that you could uh, justify yourself with as being a prudent commuter. And and to add into Laurel's answer is that, you know, even even if your flight is late and you have an early show, mind you, that doesn't change. You're commuting on your own. That is, if it's late, you own the, the, the shortened request, shortened rest time. So there's no 117 rule in there at all. Uh, if you get to that point where the flight that arrives very late, and I think in Ben's uh, 
question you had an early uh, morning show. That morning you have to you have to mark yourself fit for uh, fit for duty, and if you're not ready, then you can't comply with that, and you would not uh, you would not uh, accept that uh, accept that flight. Okay. Thanks, Ben, for that question. One of the things I remember reading as a new hire is that it was risky to deviate from a deadhead. Can you tell me why it is risky to deviate from a deadhead? So, for example, if I live in Salt Lake City and my trip ends with a deadhead from Denver to San Francisco, why shouldn't I just deadhead to my home instead of going to San Francisco and then commuting home? If you're on reserve, uh, a deadhead deviation will adjust your time that you're available to scheduling for. If you're a line holder, this really doesn't apply. But if you're on reserve, you should take into careful consideration uh, in this example, when is the earliest that you could have gotten back to San Francisco? Maybe there was a rest period in there that you had, and then you had the deadhead after a rest period. In this case, you could be giving scheduling a full extra day. If you chose to take the rest period and then uh deviate home in the morning, you could be on call in San Francisco before you ever even touch your home. So just be really careful. I'd advise you to call your mentor to talk through the potential implications of this. Generally, in the middle of a reserve block, it can be a bad idea. You didn't ask this question, but also another consideration is if you're deviating on the front end, that turns you into a commuter. So instead of uh just needing the one deadhead, you would need the two flights, prudent commuter policy. Um, even though it's a positive space deviation, you still need the two flights. That's a great point. So if I were to do this, what you're saying is that my 12 hours or 10 hours to showtime, depending on my assignment, could start as early as the first deadhead from Denver to San Francisco in this case. Yes, that's correct. It would be the earliest not taking into consideration anything else like um, like rest requirements that you needed. So I remember as a probationary pilot, I went to bed one night and accidentally left my phone on Do Not Disturb, and I missed an assignment from scheduling, which caused me to get an unable to contact. What are some other errors that you see besides, you know, the issue of people leaving their phones on Do Not Disturb um, that will cause probationary pilots problems in their first year? Dave, that's surprisingly common. New hire pilots just uh, turning their phone off or putting it on Do Not Disturb overnight. The other one that's really common is trying to push the showtime by delaying the callback. So what I mean is just a misconception that your clock starts when you call scheduling back versus when scheduling first tries to call you. Uh, some of the other uh, issues that I've seen with uh, uh, reservists is um, the main one, and it, it's usually coming in off of off of days off to your first day of reserve, right? That is, um, everyone tries to kind of play the the long call game, especially for the commuters. You know, they try to stay an extra day at home, which I totally get. But so they'll they'll take a look at open time at at ten fifty in the morning. All the trips, all the short calls, field standby sitting there, and they'll wait in, in, in hopes that they'll all disappear. The open time uh, uh, pickup window runs, and they all disappear. Great. Perfect. Uh, you know, the, the new hire will say, great, I can spend an extra day at home. Maybe it be on long call. 
uh, I, that's great. The, the challenge or the problem is that sketching will build uh, long call or short calls and field standbys all day long. And the problem is when you get later in the day, again, as a commuter, you start pushing a window where you may not be able to get to work in the morning. So uh, as mentors, we kind of typically advise to be fairly aggressive with it. If you're a commuter, if you see a trip in there or a short call or a field standby that's later in the day, pick it up. I mean, by picking that up, you solidify your schedule. Now you can plan a commute, give yourself two flights, go back to spend the time with the family for the rest of the day and commute in later that day or later that evening. The uh, other recommendation we have uh, when scheduling does call, I did this, I was on reserve for six years. Uh, I did this all the time. I just, I kind of let the, I let the, the call from scheduling go to voicemail. I'll check it. I'll check the schedule. Does it meet the, uh, the contract? Yes. If the, if the trip was later in the day, the next day, I just call them back right then. Cause it d- doesn't really matter. If you want to wait and call them after 6 p.m. local base time to get your uh, crew duty window, which is one minute of duty period on your last day off. That's fine. You can wait. Uh, don't forget to call them back. Um, and the main other issues, right, is is just not calling back at all. And I had circulated, circulated on social media at some time ago. It's just if you, if you didn't call them back, then it never met the two-way communication. And then it wasn't a valid assignment, which is also an incorrect statement. What is the most common PDR the new hire mentor committee gets? The most common PDR that the uh, mentor committee gets is when am I off probation? The UPA explains in 6C that uh, to exit probation, you need 165 days of work and 12 bid periods. Now, mind you, this, these PDRs mostly coming from pilots that had long waits for IOE. Uh, there was a period of time that we knew I was waiting for IOE for three months, uh, five months, any various of times. That wait time for IOE, unfortunately, is extending one's probation. That is, the definition of 165 days of work, the contract lists off uh, reserve days, training, uh, special assignments work, uh, uh, pairings. Unfortunately, it does not include uh, a waiting OE. That is, your OEB days, OEBD days in your schedule or IOEF days. Uh, in your schedule are not counting toward 165 days of work. Yes, I realize in the contract it says any day you get paid for by United. They are not, uh, again, this contract was not written to incorporate long waits for IOE. So those codes in your scheduling, uh, master schedule, don't count toward your 165 days. Yes, you are sitting on waiting on call, right, for waiting for IOE, but uh, United saying these are these do not count. Uh on top of that, uh, the 12 bid periods, uh, basic training does count. Your basic in-doc month does count toward your one of your 12 uh, bid months. If you were awaiting IOE for an entire bid period, that bid period may be, uh, it has to be uh, fulfilled again. Uh, we went back and forth with this quite a bit, but ultimately it's a moot point. That is, if you if you don't have 165 days of work, which is usually the issue, the extra bid period, it doesn't really matter because you're going to have to work that extra month to get the 165 days. So I understand they have to be available to the company now for 12 bid months plus 165 working days. 
Is there anything else I have to do to get off of probation, Laurel? Dave, there's not. But some chief pilots are going to very strongly encourage you to have a specific number of probationary pilot reports. That is not a requirement of the UPA. Uh, The chief pilots are also really going to want you to follow the new hire guide, which outlines some base visits that they want you to conclude. Now, once you've met your 12 bid periods and 165 days of work, that's it. You're off probation. The chief pilot's office does not release you from probation. But uh, they could extend it. That would have to be done before you met your 165 days of work. If you don't complete your base visits, you don't have to do those to exit probation. However, we still highly recommend that you do them. Okay, so... Ultimately, how do I know when I'm off probation? You have to do a little bit of research yourself and, and, and look at, have I done 12 bid periods or at least be available to work for 12 bid periods? And you can ask your chief pilot if you've had 165 days of work. They can do that uh, forensics for you. The, the The challenge is not every chief pilot handles this uh, equally. Some chief pilots will send you a CCS message that says, congratulations, you've completed probation. Other uh, uh, chief pilots uh, do not. So you may have to do a little legwork uh, on yourself. If the if you can't get the answer of 165 days from the uh, chief pilot, you can always uh, you can always PDR the membership committee. They can do some research for you as well. All right. And it seemed to me that I received some notification from uh, my local council when I came off of probation. Is that something that most local councils do? That is not consistent across the board. Um, the the you will you may get an email from your your LEC uh, that uh, you've exited probation and now are a full wing member. We do recommend you go to an LEC meeting, introduce yourself, and uh, and and see what the what Alpa does at their LEC meetings. It's a great way to uh, to start your full wing service at Alpa is to is to go to an LEC meeting and, and, and take part in the airline. It is it's the you're the future of the airline and we recommend that you uh you you take part in it. Another common question is whether or not a new hire is covered by the UPA. Gabe, can you speak to that? I can, yeah. And it uh we get this question quite often from new hires. It's a misconception, uh, because depending on what their background is, uh, if they come from uh, they may come from a, a, a carrier that had a union, but new hires or probationary pilots were not covered under their contract, which is much different here. You are, as new hires and probation, you are covered by uh, our contract. Now, mind you, United can let uh, terminate your one's employment for any reason United deems necessary, but you are not only covered by the UPA, but you have access to all of ALPA. Any all ALPA committees, they're all available to you. The and the challenge, like I said, the mentors have to cover this with the new hires. We've had new hires that uh, had some had some issues, but didn't think they were covered by the contract and resigned from United before they called their mentor. And that has uh, that has come up in the past. Uh, so we do recommend, or if you have any issues, any questions on the contract, please call your mentor. They can walk you through any issue you have. So along those lines, Laurel, what ALPA activities am I allowed to participate in? What ALPA activities am I encouraged to participate in as a half-winger? As a half-winger, you can wear your half-wing pin. You can wear the contract first, United Next Lanyard. You can participate in informational picketing, and you can go to union events. 
You cannot uh, vote at union meetings, but otherwise you can attend and are encouraged to attend. So in closing, Gabe, do you have anything else you'd like to share with these new hires? Yeah. Uh, from the from the mentor committee, we recommend that you use your mentor. Uh, it's easy. Uh, it's easy to think that uh, I, I, you may know all the answers. Of course, you may have friends and family that work here that can answer some questions. The contract is, it's decent. It's complicated. And it's best navigated by somebody who kind of understands this, i.e. your mentor. Uh, that's much more highly recommended than saying go to social media to get an answer because I we typically find that those answers are not necessarily accurate. Uh, to get a hold of us, if you have questions, you can contact, like I said, your mentor. You can PDR the mentor committee. You can email us at uailmentoradmin uh, at, uh, at uh, alpa.org. Uh, there are many avenues for you to get answers uh, to any issues you might have. Uh, for those who are line pilots uh, off probation that want to volunteer for ALPA, that have a little bit of spare time to help out their fellow pilots, we recommend uh, giving us a call. We'd love to have you volunteer and uh, be part of the committee. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, Laurel. All the links that we talked about, the email addresses, uh, will be in the show notes description. Also, there will be some links to common did-you-know questions in in that description. If you are interested in being a mentor, please reach out to the New Hire Mentor Committee. They are always looking for new mentors. Thanks for listening to Flight Deck Today, a Leading Edge podcast.